The course is an attempt to reflect critically on concepts of happiness and the quality of life, well-being, using readings from philosophy, psychology, economics, sometimes a little poetry in there. The course, therefore, is interdisciplinary and, in a way, intersectional. Uh, you can't live a good life if you're being oppressed for who you are. Our first reading is going to be by uh, Judith Butler, raising the question about whether we can live a good life while being unmindful of how the conditions of our living a good life affect the conditions of others and whether they're able to live a good life or not. The good life is something we're all trying to achieve. But what does it mean for life to be good? Clark philosophy professor Wes DeMarco poses this deeply profound but deeply complicated question to first-year students during a course called The Good Life. Because most people have a different concept or definition of what qualifies as good, the course is rife with lively discussions and critical thinking. It's a, it's a lovely tangle of difficult questions. We bump into all kinds of other important auxiliary questions. The question of human nature, whether we share a common human nature. The course kind of culminates in the question of whether we can live a good life without reconsidering the standards by which we assess whether we're living a good life or not. I'm Melissa Hansen, a producer in Clark's communications office, and this is Challenge Change. Wes finds that people typically consider a single happiness concept when pondering what makes a good life. More often than not, I find what people are assuming is a single happiness concept, which is a hedonic concept, that is to say, based on ratio of pleasure to pain. Nowadays, in uh, psychological and sociological research, we often call this subjective well-being. And that idea is taken for granted, that life's about affect balance or pleasure-pain ratio or something like this. What do people want out of life? Pleasure, money, success, possibly meaning or depth, possibly freedom, possibly uh, an ethical standard, possibly well-being understood as a kind of health of the organism. Despite the challenges of categorizing life as good based on the mainstream hedonic concept of subjective well-being, Wes has been intrigued by the psychology of happiness. Empirical studies have shown that some traits make people happier than others. Extroverts tend to be happier. Conservatives politically tend to be happier. Religious people tend to be happier. It's a lovely result that people who are engaged in helping behaviors and volunteerism tend to be happier where happiness is understood as hedonic subjective well-being. But of course, here again, philosophers are going to raise questions. Uh, two things come up in this context, at least. Uh, one is, if it's the case that the majority of people, even the great majority of people, tend to report that they feel more pleasure and joy in life when they engage in these helping behaviors and volunteerism, does that mean that it applies to me? It's a statistical generalization that is solidly established, but it need not apply to any particular individual. That's one set of problems. Another set of problems has to do with what counts as helping behaviors and volunteerism. You know, maybe I find my sense of meaning and community in joining the KKK. 
The empirical studies are quite consistent with those sorts of things. And my pitch is that we can't do without trying to think together in a human way about this very human set of topics. It's possible to live a good life in such conditions because we see examples of people actually living good lives in these conditions. But a bunch of stuff is problematic. For Wes, unpacking the good life concept starts with examining an individual and then tackling the world's social and ethical quandaries. We have some readings from people who argue that you just can't live a good life if you're not living in harmony with the environment. You have readings from others who say you can't live a good life unless you are living in harmony with others. The course sort of builds from the individual and we build out towards more social things, ethics and the environment, and then we end with questions about religion and spirituality. A Taoist hermit can get a pass for not engaging in politics. But I think most of us should be engaged in it. I think that's an important part of the good life. If you're rolling up your sleeves and participating in the struggle, though the condition is tough, that itself can be rewarding. Studies suggest that spirituality and religion help people with anxiety and depression considerably. Even three years after the height of the pandemic, depression and anxiety rates remain high. Are religion and spirituality keys to creating a good life? So Lisa Miller, for example, has written a number of uh, semi-popular books lately, reviewing some of the empirical research on spirituality in relation to well-being and happiness. And rates of depression, for example, are significantly lower for people who have a serious ongoing practice. Uh, Harold Koenig is, a, is someone who is well-known for trying to keep alive the contrast between religion and spirituality. And he points out that if we define spirituality as inner peace, having a sense of meaning, a sense that you're connected with others and with spiritual dimension, with the universe or the divine, if you define spirituality that way, well, you're automatically and by definition <laughs> going to have a positive effect and well-being because it's built into the definition. But a religious tradition where you have a community, we have regular practices and rituals, he remarks that 75% major studies on this show that illnesses and deaths of despair are significantly reduced when people have those kinds of practices. If so many facets of determining the good life rely on attentional capacity, what does that suggest about the ability of neurodivergent people to live a good life? One of the concepts of, of well-being that we consider focuses less on either pleasure or practices than on qualities of consciousness. So if I have a clear, calm mind, that either can define a good life or can be an integral component to a good life. And how do you get that when, you're, when you have serious attentional difficulties? These are tough issues, particularly for us today. I think it's healthy and good to focus on process rather than perfection. And so if I can have a regular practice, say, of, of, of meditation or mindful yoga, something like this, making a little progress and feeling good about saturating myself into my experience, soaking my mind into my body, that's a good thing to hang your hat on, seems to me. With all these concepts considered, we had a question for Wes. Have you lived the good life? 
the experiences I've had, the things I've been able to do, the people I've met, I've just been lucky. <laughs> but in, in small ways, I mean, I'm not in grandiose ways, but in small ways, I, yeah, I, I feel like I've been blessed with an extraordinary life. I feel the good life is found in the small things. It's in the intimacies of dialogue and in connection with friends whom you trust to be critical and to call you on your junk and uh, so forth. So how does West define good? For reasons of our culture and socioeconomic condition, we're trained or persuaded to hang our self-esteem on other things than this simple, earnest effort to live a good life. One can approach it from faculties or capacities, Healthy mind and healthy body, healthy consciousness, having some political engagement, having some practice of body cultivation or a sport, some kind of involvement in the arts, either as a practitioner, a maker, or as an appreciator. Surprise, this is what we do at university, you see, right? I'm somebody who was not destined to be teaching at university. You know, I've done different things in my life, but one of the main reasons I'm here is because I really believe that this setting, this university setting, this university life can open these doors and therefore is a really important and useful vehicle for good life. For students to come in and suddenly be able to appreciate literature in a way they didn't before and learn about uh, the best science of the day pick up on some justice issues, race and class and gender and so on, to, to focus it or to acquire it. I follow those traditions. I've been persuaded by those traditions that put ethics front and center. A good life is a, a life where we're trying to be good. I often say, um, you know, as a kind of slogan for life, do no harm and try to do a little good. To learn more about philosophy at Clark, visit clarku.edu slash philosophy. Challenge Change is produced by Andrew Hart and Melissa Hansen for Clark University. Find other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. One, two, three. Clark! <laughs>